and thank you for downloading tonight's special edition of Power Bombs and Potables, part of the podcast Potables Network, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Process Potables, as well as Power Bombs and Potables. You can find us on Twitter at Power Bombs PPN. For news, info, breweries we've worked with, and so much more, make sure to check out ProcessPotables.com. Well, WrestleMania 36 has come and gone. Me and Dan are about to sit down and discuss it for this special edition of Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this special post-WrestleMania 36 edition of Power Bombs and Potables. I am your host, Corey Oates, for this. Joining me, the podfather, the Podcast Potables Network, Dan Morgan. How are you? Heck of a weekend, man. The uh, only WrestleMania that couldn't be only one night. Too big for one night. It. I feel right out of the gate before we even talk about it, it was... More palatable being two nights. Yes, for sure. I, I give them a lot of credit. And before we even get into it, the one thing that I was saying about the whole idea of doing this, not having the live crowd still going on when the people were saying you delay it, you postpone it, you don't do it at all, and all these other options, I told you this before. I thought that it made a lot of sense to do something because what else is there right now? And to their credit, I think they made a lot of good decisions and did a lot with a bad situation. So before we even go from this specific thing to this specific thing, just overall, like I give them a lot of credit for what they put on. I agree. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, but again, back to, like I said, it being more palatable. I feel if you look now in hindsight at the matches and the fact that there was uh two more cinematic matches but there was one on each night and then there was a real hard-hitting quick match for the world titles on each night there was a lot of the same on both nights which also kind of made it better that it wasn't all in the same show because you'd be able to point that out uh but i feel that because you were able to watch three hours of it last night and then have all day sunday and then come back at it tonight for another three hours and 20 minutes it was a lot easier and more enjoyable unlike you when you're sitting in a stadium or even watching on tv for seven hours by the end you're just you're tapping out yourself yeah and so a little bit off topic but to tie two very random things together fitting of this network i started reading the uh the sixers book on the process today tanking to the top and anyone who's weirdly crossing over between this and and our flagship podcast who's aware of sam hankey his whole philosophy was, you know, getting more swings at the plate, so to speak, as far as like draft picks. Like, you know, you want more chances, you want more opportunities rather than only having one chance to get something right. I think 
in this sense, because they s- split it out, because like, I mean, WrestleMania wasn't going to be mm-hmm. seven hours probably. So like there were matches one that probably don't happen if it's not two nights for sure. And then the other thing is like, let's say you watch Saturday and you weren't all that impressed. Well, maybe you had a chance to come back Sunday and, and find something that was palatable to you. So like if you didn't like some things, I think this gave you more variety, more options to find at least something to attach yourself to 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 have enjoyed where if it was just the one show maybe you hype yourself up for it too much you wait all day to watch it and if it doesn't give you what you want like a lot of years sometimes it does you walk away with that bad taste in your mouth and i feel like this made it uh less likely for that to happen for an average wrestling fan yeah i feel that the the best way to have gone into this which is what i tried to do is to have the lowest expectations whatsoever and see what would come out of it. I didn't want to completely write this off before it happened. And I'm glad I didn't. Was it the best WrestleMania of all time? Far, far. No, no. I mean, I, I think that there actually had been worse WrestleManias than this. Oh yeah. But, (laughs) but I, I feel that on, now that we can look back at this hindsight and you put the, the six and a half hours of it together, it it was it was a it was a fun show. There was a lot of fun moments. Of it's course, it's gonna be memorable for sure, right? Uh, you know, but they still were able to achieve everything that they wanted to and tell some of the stories that you could tell that they wanted to, and they weren't going to change that, which is fine. Totally okay with. And that. They have to. You spend too much time building up to this. That was the other thing I advocated for, and making sure you do this now. You invest too much of your storyline and your product into it paying off at this date. You really can't push it off anymore. You have to get it done. Right. Yeah. So um, we'll we'll sit off with a little disclaimer here and say that being that it is 1040, we just finished watching part two, well, night two live. Uh, we're not going to really have much time to edit this. So I'm going to try and keep my uhs, likes, and butts to a minimum. But you're getting the raw real deal There were deal a lot tonight. of butts, though. There were a lot of butts uh, at one point all in the ring on the TV. Uh, but that's just my uh, my little disclaimer for this. Do you uh, you ready to get into our recap of this? Yeah, go ahead, buddy. All right. So I don't know if you actually saw this, but in the pre-show last night, there was a Miz and Morrison rap video. Did you see this? No. Okay. I think I walked into your house right at the end. Yes. It. I, I didn't know what the fuck I was watching. I wasn't expecting it either. I guess that might have been why it threw me off guard. But they have a full fully produced three and a half four minute rap song music video that they did uh that they aired on this so that was something better that, or worse than our truth um wait our truth like song that he has at now that's set on any time he raps uh i mean on uh, average uh, no i think our truth is better okay our truth can actually spit he just sound like this all goddamn time mm. So um, there's that. Uh, the first match that they did on the pre-show of night one, you're talking Drew Gulak uh, and Cesaro. Um, I thought it was a pretty fun match. Uh, I think that I'm come, becoming more of a fan of Drew Gulak. Uh, but it just felt like right when those guy. Yeah, right when they those two started getting really their their groove and going, the match just kind of ended out of nowhere, and that's the only downside that I felt about that. It was the pre-show of of a pre-taped WrestleMania. You could have let them go a little longer than they did, uh, but Cesaro ended up winning that. Did you? Don't care. Yeah. Um, uh, We go to the actual show. Stephanie McMahon welcomes us to WrestleMania. There was a cool little montage of America the Beautiful. Very, very cool. Of all the... 
celebrities over the last 35 years that have sang. You saw everybody from Ray Charles to Aretha Franklin, uh, the boys to men, uh, really, really cool montage they did there and everything was seamless cool way to start off the show yeah a lot more interesting than having lillian garcia do it in an empty performance facility so kudos to them for well, a really good she idea. actually did it yesterday afternoon on the bump in her living room whatever that <laughs> aired on the tv so very funny that you say that and didn't even know that they still technically did that nope even in an empty living room moving on empty living room match there uh we start off the show dev night one with gronk and mojo raleigh welcoming us to the show uh, I noticed and I pointed out that the the giant 36-foot WrestleMania sign that they hang that everybody points at all WrestleMania season is now part of the backdrop where fans would be. Uh, did you know that every year, whatever number WrestleMania that is, that is how wide and feet the sign is? Nope. So every year it gets wider by a foot with the new one. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> um, the opening match, we get an, uh, Alexa Bliss, Nikki Cross versus the Kabuki Warriors for the women's tag team titles. Uh, it's honestly from when Alexa and Nikki lost the belts to the Kabuki Warriors. This is like their first real rematch, and they've been w- wanting it for a while. So they finally get get it, and uh, I thought it was a good match to start off uh, the, the show. Uh, Nikki worked really hard in this match. So she worked more harder than Alexa Bliss. Uh, there was a weird jump cut. When uh, I noticed this for when we were talking about the fact this was pre-taped, uh, there was a spot where Nikki has uh, Oscar pinned, and Carrie Sane does an elbow off the top to break up the pin, but it just cuts to the to the uh, to the elbow drop coming off the top rope. I, I noticed that, and I found that kind of weird that they didn't make that more smooth of a transition. Uh, but eventually, Nikki got the hot tag. Alexa won with Twisted Bliss. What did you think? I I thought it was a I was I was kind of weirded out by this match from the start though because I was under the impression this whole time that Oscar wasn't performing at this. So Same, like, yes. It, it was very weird for me that I wasn't sure this match was happening or who the substitute was going to be, if any. And we'll right. go on to talk about you know more instances where that did happen. But so that that had me feeling weird about the whole time. Your point about Nikki Cross is well received because most of the time that they've been paired, it really does seem like Nikki Cross is you know just kind of a. Uh, sidekick yeah sidekick to alexa bliss and and alexa's very very good in the ring and i'm a big fan of her in the ring and out Mm -hmm. uh nikki cross who i remember like you know thinking she had some talent in nxt i feel like since she's come up we haven't gotten a good look at her and this was a good showcase for her and it was cool to see her work more of the match so that was interesting this one went as expected once i kind of realized okay this is actually happening which again is just surprise if anything yeah i mean i i think that it's it's good to finally get the belts off of uh oscar and carrie sane because they they won the belts and it was fine because they were starting to take them in that direction but when they won the belts i believe is around when they turned them heel and for the last six or seven months, however long they've had the belt, most of that has been spent with Asuka having a singles run, up to and including the whole feud with Becky Lynch into the Rumble this year. So it's they, they've been kind of sitting and wasting these belts that aren't really old. They're only two years old. And when you look at it here, I believe that them that Alexa and Nikki winning the belts back, I think this is only maybe the fifth or sixth reign over the of anyone in the two and a half, two years since yeah, these they, belts have been Yeah, they don't around. change often. Right, but that's also because they haven't been even defending them. So it's good that we, you know, we'll have them on SmackDown, I guess. And it's good, it's good to have Oscar 
be able to hopefully go back to singles too because she's one of the be- best singles workers they have. Right. I mean, I never really was a big fan of Carrie Sane when she was in NXT. They really put a lot of stock in her, which is the whole reason for the pairing, I'm sure. She, she was the only one. Her. She was the only one that she took the belt from Shayna Baszler for a little bit and dropped it back to her. But they obviously see a lot of upswing in her at some point, and and when they brought her up and they put her with Asuka, it it didn't really click. Uh, so you're right. I definitely think that we should. It's time to get Asuka back to where she was. And it's time to trash the legit killer. It's time to trash the Kabuki Warriors name too. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I agree with that. Uh, moving on, we get Corbin versus Elias. Elias uh, actually, you know, was able to make it to the show eight days prior. He fell off a cliff. Fell off a cliff uh, with some extra Hollywood sound effects to help him along the way down. Uh, I pointed this out as musicians. Elias's chord plays and he comes walking out two seconds later with his uh, guitar over his shoulder. There's no way that he played that chord. Yeah. That's I bullshit. Mean, I assume he doesn't play most of the chords, but uh, kayfabe. Uh, we're going to kayfabe ski on this one. Uh, but yeah, Corbin dominated most of the match playing to the crowd, which I thought this was excellent. His crowd was Michael Cole and JBL. And he was just yelling to them and taunting them as if he was using them as their crowd. It was, really, really smart. It was great. Uh, but Elias got the win in a roll-up. And then the one thing that I have noted here is I didn't even know that Elias had music. Right. He had, to, to which I said he never wrestles to win any matches for you to know. Yeah. I mean, last year he was on WrestleMania for the spot for Cena to come out. He didn't even wrestle there. I think this is his first WrestleMania match. I couldn't tell you the last time he had a singles match on TV. So... Good for him. It'll Getting probably that, be a while till he has another one. Getting that WrestleMania win uh, for Elias on that one. Uh, next up is one that really was interesting to me. Shayna Baszler, Becky Lynch, Raw Women's Title. Uh, Becky arrives in her monster truck, not monster truck, her semi truck. There, you know, it's it's just strange that every single week anymore she comes out with this thing and drives clearly through a neighborhood. Like there was kind of a shot this week where there's a house right across the street and she's just blowing. Well, the- there's like a big building to the side of it. I mean, she's clearly pulling up to like the same way when Stone Cold would show up in these things. They have that big downway ramp into like a a thing, but that thing's not going to fit down there. It's not going to clear the height requirement. So she's got to stop and walk her way in, which I guess is some kind of blue collar, you know, tough tough perspective uh, to me it's like well then drive a fucking car that fits so you don't have to do that and then naturally she gets out of the truck uh wearing her full gear and her belt because that's what every truck driver does right and uh, obviously showing up about two minutes before she has to go all glammed up looking good as always uh but so we we get here and the first thing in this match these two started just beating the shit out of each other and it literally sounded like meat tenderizing it, we, we pointed that out when we were watching it last night. They were swinging the fuck away at each other. Yeah, the thing with them, especially now that we've seen the entire two nights of this now, and things that I gave credit to a lot of the other performers at certain times in their matches was their ability to fill the empty void of not having a crowd. And these two, like, you know, technical, just want to kind of beat the crap out of each other at the same time. Like, you know, the in-ring stuff was good, but there was no personality to this. There was there was nothing to fill out that air. So this felt like you were watching with the TV on mute other than just... Right. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, this, this is fine, I guess. But it really made me appreciate other matches that took a mental note to make sure that they were doing something to give you the audio aspect as well as the physical aspect. Right. So I was really disappointed uh, in this match because these two exchanged blows a lot. And 
on the previous two podcasts, I was saying how not only do I feel Shayna Baszler needs to win this match, but she needs to win this match in ridiculous form. She needs to beat down Becky Lynch, and then Becky can get rebuilt over the next six months to a year, uh, as Becky's had the belt since now WrestleMania 35. And uh, Shayna did the same spot from Raw, where she slammed Becky's head into the announce table two different times. Uh, two minutes later, Shayna's got the chokehold on Becky in the ring, and Becky flips over, and Shayna gets pinned to the mat, and, and Becky's still the champion. I was shocked how this one just abruptly ended in the way it did. Yeah, I tried to defend this to you before, and this kind of fit my storyline as well, so I don't have as much of a problem with it. My thought here is Becky did show her the respect. She showed that she was afraid of her. That's the reason she had to jump her in the first place and was doing all these things she rarely did with any other person that was challenging her because most of them she just looked down on and taunted and everything. This one, clearly, she showed her you know some respect, and... With Shayna, like she was clearly like a little bit arrogant, and I think that was the whole theme there was that she thought she had it, and Becky kind of veteran maneuvered her out of it, and that's going to be the thing. Exactly what you want to happen is going to happen in like a month. Shayna's going to beat her, and she's going to go away. But you, like, you almost right. have to give Becky the respect here of letting her slide out of this one. It gives you the scare. You know, Shayna could have won, and now she's wiser for the next time, and she'll win it there. So I'm fine with it because I pretty sure that's what's going to happen yeah and, and i agree with that too I, at this point i feel that and we were talking about this last night that there have been rumblings that there's a chance that the wwe is going to maybe take a, a break for a little bit i believe there's only three states in the entire continental united states that don't have stay-at-home ordinances uh so they really don't have anywhere to film apparently they're they're still going to film smackdown tomorrow in an undisclosed location and possibly you know violate some ordinances but i don't know how they're going to get away with that for the next month or two if this lasts that long uh so if they do go into that and shane is the champion you don't really have time to build her up so yeah like we said you can eventually get there uh and do that but i still felt that you know if you're following your stories of the way that things were going to originally be i kind of still felt that shana would have won uh that way next up sammy zane daniel bryan for the Intercontinental title. Strange match. Uh, I noted this, and this was an old adage, because Sammy has really transitioned more into a manager than a wrestler. Bobby Heenan always used to say, you manage like a wrestler, you wrestle like a manager when you're in that position. And I really feel that Sammy wrestled like a manager. He did a great job doing that. Uh, you know, a lot of outside you know, stuff going on with Drew Gulak, Cesar, and Shinsuke to really kind of break it up and and give uh, Sammy his time to try and get his stuff in there because he's not, you know, wrestling. He's, you know, being a coward, getting the help that he needs from his guys. Uh, but I still didn't think that Sammy was going to win this match, but he did uh, with a Huluva kick, and that was kind of it. I, I didn't expect that. I kind of thought that maybe they were going to give Daniel Bryan the belt. I thought Daniel Bryan was going to win, but I was super uninterested in this match. Yeah. I appreciated the bit where he was letting him leave, and Sammy was definitely taking it and talking some smack, and then Daniel Bryan goes and runs him down. I honestly, at that point, was half willing to let him walk away and just have it be like a walkout and see what comes of that, because it fits exactly what you're talking about, doing this like heel manager kind of bit right. while being the champion. I just don't think that whole 
wrestle like a manager thing is is that interesting on a champion. It's interesting on just guys, right? But it, it doesn't interest me when you're holding a belt. Well, it would if he was like a cowardly manager in the first place. Like, let's say, like somehow we're we're in like the '90s, and somehow Jimmy Hart won a sure. title, and like he's got to now defend this title. Obviously, there's going to be some some bullshit in order to keep it on him, right? But I mean, in this situation, it it was this match was the epitome of a let me up match as they refer to when you know you get everything taken out of you in that title match beforehand with Becky and Shayna this kind of lets you up lets you breathe and you know get your wits back right. because then you're going to come at it with the next match which was a very impressive ladder match which should have been a six man match and three tag teams but it became a three man tag team title ladder match which is an interesting concept but we're throwing out the rules for this WrestleMania. They told us that uh, even in the pre-show. Jimmy Uso versus Kofi Kingston versus John Morrison. Honestly, uh, if there was any three people, I would assume it would be these three people. If I'm looking at New Day, I'm picking Kofi. If I'm taking Morrison and Miz, I'm taking Morrison to be the ones that would be in the singles match here. And I don't really know the Usos too much because they do so many double team things to really say hey this one's better than this one but these three worked really hard super fast paced match uh put there was a lot of leg slaps in this one i was joking about that because this was super kicks galore but whatever this was fun uh, a lot of interesting moves using the ladder some stuff that we haven't actually seen before which is interesting you know there's a lot of spots where you've like okay i've seen this a thousand times how are they going to maybe alter this uh uh, where did I have my notes here that, uh, you know, the Uso single way, I said that, uh, but I'm okay with the, the, the finish of this, you know, they, the, the three guys were on each of their own ladders. So we have three ladders in the middle of this ring with all three on the top of it. Morrison has his hand on the belt uh, and they, they double headbutt him. He falls backwards and releases both belts. This is something that if they did it live, it could have gone horribly wrong. So I'm glad that, it worked out the way it was. Maybe it didn't work out in one take, but the take that they had, it worked out smoothly. Uh, and that was the one thing that I was thinking out, out of that is that if they did that live, it could have gone horribly wrong. I mean, a lot of things in a match like that can go horribly wrong. And those guys are all innovative. This is a match that suits them. It was a great match. A lot of this is a, a lot of things from this match are at the top of my list as far as making the best of a bad situation, giving WWE and a lot of these performers credit for, the circumstances that they're under. The only thing I just I I'm not really thrilled about the fact that you defend tag team titles in a triple threat match. It's not a tag team match. It just seems like really hard for me to swallow, but I get it and that's my only complaint. The match itself great. All the guys interesting spots, cool stuff. The finish was very very original and interesting to me. Uh I just I really don't like the tag team belts being defended in a in a singles match. Yeah, yeah, that that was just that was a little interesting to get through the the thought of that, um, especially with the changing hands. Well, I mean, it didn't change hands. Oh, it didn't. No, no, no. Morrison, I was I was going to literally say before you said that, I was going to be like, I think it would have been more awkward if the titles had changed hands oh, at well, this then, point. Okay. I didn't even know who the champs were. I it, thought it was the Usos. I mean, it who right now it's really hard to watch wrestling, so I yep. get it and. For what it's worth, most of us are usually doing things on Friday nights. Yep. So it's hard to follow the the SmackDown product. Yeah, I watched every show except SmackDown this week. So right, that's why that that's what my job is to do. 
spend spend my Friday or Saturday watching SmackDown. Uh, so we get on next to a match that I thought going into this whole show was going to be the match that stole the show, and I was wrong about that. Still a great match, but Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens in a I believe this was a False Count Anywhere match or a No Holds Barred match. Something well, along those the lines. original was just a regular match. Oh yes, okay. So that's that's where it ended up getting there. So <laughs> they had the one on one match, and uh, it was they were brawling, uh, and you know which is what you knew it was going to be between these two. Uh, they were yelling at each other a lot, which is cool because it gave more of a real fight feel. Definitely. Uh, you know, they were there was a struggle between the two. Uh, Rollins hit Owens with the ring bell, and they disqualified him. At that point, I believed everybody in our room was just like, "This is fucking stupid." Yeah, it sucked. Um, and then you, you go to Owens. Yelling at the ref to restart the match is a no DQ match. As you said, that's where we get the restart. Uh, they brawled more. Owens climbs on top of said WrestleMania sign that I was discussing earlier and dives, does the Shane McMahon dive through uh, Rollins, who's on, laying out on the table. I thought that was a fun little spot. Leap of faith. Leap of faith. And uh, at, at that point, Owens gets it back in the ring, hits him with the stunner, and wins. Not the match stealer that I thought it would be, but it was still an enjoyable match. I feel that really the brawling and the high spot was what won it over for me. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't end it with the ring bell thing, but I think the problem is that really took a lot of wind out of the sails, and it was really hard to get back into it, and that's where they mm-hmm. lost it. Yeah, like, it was it was a very weird call to make it that way. Uh, if you want to make it the no DQ or you know no holds barred or whatever or whatever you want, then. Do that earlier, or like right? That, you yes. know, have him jump him early. Have him do something like to, to invest that much time in the match, and then do it. And especially because of the like, I think that's one of the few times where not having the crowd really hurt it. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. I definitely feel that they should have moved that spot to earlier. It might not even the ring bell. Maybe have him kick him in the balls or something like that. Sure. Have the referee disqualify him. And Roll and you know, Owens holding his balls in the ring gets a microphone and like calls him back in the ring. Do something like that as opposed to taking the the, the wind out of your sails when you're already about, you know, six, seven minutes into the match. Next up, R Truth loses the twenty four seven title to Mojo Rawley in an impromptu match. Uh, right here I noted, I'm assuming he's going to drop it back to R-Truth or Gronk is going to end up with it. There yeah. was a 1,000% chance going into this that Gronk was leaving the 24-7 champion, but weirdly enough here, it ends up being Mojo Raleigh, which just speaks to how sad of a champion R-Truth is that he lost the belt to an elbow to the midsection. R-Truth has won that title and lost that title more than I feel anyone has won world titles i mean jerry hardcore title definitely changed jerry lawler was like a 43 time like memphis world champion uswa and i still think the r-truth has priority beat that number probably (laughs) it's freaking ridiculous in like a year and a half well no because carmella seems like she had it half the times that you think r-truth um so we get to our last match of this show uh no 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 I I I missed one. Well, I missed the last one. match, right? The last match of this show, and uh, it was everything you thought it was going to be. It's Goldberg defending the the Universal Title against Braun Strowman, which on well, not f- if you thought it was Roman Reigns because it was very poorly announced that. Yeah, on on SmackDown they just said, "Hey, now this is what the match is going to be." There's no explanation to Roman and how that he dropped out. And that was kind of a letdown because 
they could have found a way to cover it up somehow. Uh, you could have done the backstage. He got taken out or some Do type anything. of bullshit we're willing to suspend our disbelief right like, i mean here's what it, here's what it is when this information leaked out a week and a half ago and you had a week and a half to put something together do something better than that like actually here's the deal do something and it would have been better right than that. exactly <laughs> it really couldn't be worse than just pretending so uh goldberg braun Strowman. Goldberg comes out of his uh, dressing room, which his dressing room looks like it, the cafeteria. The cafeteria, and uh, it this match was super quick. Couple of spears, and then a couple of power slams, and Braun Strowman wins the the universal title. It was what it needed to be. Does Braun even ha- is that his finisher? Yes. Okay. Don't even know at this point. I haven't seen him in forever. Yes. I I don't think that there's a name for it. I think it's just a power slam, but sure. that's been his thing. Great. Which for a power guy, a big guy, that that, that makes Fine, sense. But they give it a name. Jesus, come on. Power slam. Power bars. Yes. Pile driver. The only problem with this, like I was on the Braun Strowman train mm-hmm. for you know, maybe more than a year, if not a, a good number of months, and then obviously that got right. killed off. And the problem here is that, like, I had I wasn't gonna be happy when Roman Reigns beat Goldberg, mm-hmm. but I, you get it. But right. then again, you give us no story, you give us no nothing. You bring in a random person, and they beat Goldberg, right? And Goldberg beat Bray Wyatt, right? So like this whole chain of of events is awful. You have Bray Wyatt built up to this whole thing, loses to Goldberg in a show they don't even really acknowledge, and you're pissed off about that. And then you come to terms with the fact that it's all setting up for Roman Reigns, who's the poster child and all these things and and his whole history. And you're like, fine, whatever, like kind of knew this was going to happen one way or another. But then to just insert guy you have completely not given a shit about and have him do it, even though it's a guy that I want to succeed. It's like it's so frustrating. And like you said, now, like. You're stuck in in uh you have two paths and they're both pretty terrible because, I mean, what's the over under on Superman punches it takes to to put him down before Reigns beats him? Right. Or they go away and then by the time you come back you're like who the hell is Braun Strowman and and right. and he has a championship? What? Like well, like I said on on the pod this week recapping is that I feel that this is a great opportunity for them to switch Braun heel because especially as the champion no one wants to see a baby face monster getting slayed by a smaller baby by a smaller heel so it's going to make more sense to turn him heel as the champion now and maybe his first feud isn't necessarily a baby face isn't a heel feud but really quick if you're going to want to go with him uh, for a couple months maybe have him drop the belt at SummerSlam to get yourself back on the course that you wanted to to Roman I, I don't know but I definitely feel that what you're going to need to do is turn him heel because you're going to be able to tell easier stories with him as the heel not to mention the fact that they've watered him down and killed him so much with using him improperly over the last two years he was really hot when he was feuding with Roman two years ago and they were flipping the ambulances and doing all that kind of stuff with him and there were so many times you're like this is the time they're going to pull the trigger on him and they didn't so now it would be good to finally reset him as a heel and do it the right way they did it the wrong way a couple years ago, and then like a month later, they turned him right back babyface. I don't even remember what the scenario was. I just remember saying, wait, this is – I was in the middle of that point where you're like, okay, they're going to go with him. And it, th- that whole Braun Strowman thing has been uh, a mess, unfortunately, for him. Yeah. 
but it, it is what it is. The main event, the ultimate main event of this show comes up next. It's AJ Styles versus The Undertaker in a Boneyard match. Uh, there were entrance themes for this Boneyard match. It started with a Hearst uh, pulling up and two Druids pulling a casket out. And it opens two up. Two good Druids. Yes. Two good Druids. Two sweet me hoot. And uh, you, you get the, the casket opens and AJ Styles is in there. You cut to his music. Pretty cool. And then we rip to, to Metallica. And uh, Biker Taker, American Badass, came back. I don't know if it's for one night only, but I loved it. How many years until the network can't use that Metallica song and they overdub it with something else? Dude, today I watched uh, ECW, real quick, side note, I watched ECW One Night Stand, but just the Sandman entrance from that one. But I have, of course, I watched the version with Enter Sandman dubbed back in and Holy shit. Like there are certain things when you use and you utilize mainstream commercialized music that people know and can relate to, it has that much more of a strong effect on what you're watching. Yeah. Like which cult, is like cult of personality. That is that that is what made ECW was the fact that you had commercialized music that everybody knew. You knew Welcome to the Jungle, Enter Sandman, Man in the Box, those types of things. And they all all those songs described the characters more to a T. They were personality profile songs of that wrestler that they yeah, had people recognized the song to know that right and and that was why i a great point you know with them using metallica here it's like yeah how long do they have that they might have it for a long time because i i mean i know that i mean it's just a joke Tri- really, but, but I know, triple h used uh i believe for whom the belt hold on uh 27 the one in georgia that we were at when he oh, wrestled okay. taker um so i mean i think that they still have that it just it, it depends on the deals that they're cutting so napster but, can't have it but wwe can well you know metallica didn't want to embrace the digital age of things in 2000 but i guess maybe they're a little more well they're embracing vince mcmahon's wallet i guess goddamn right pal um so we get this match and it uh, it starts off the first thing here is that the IWC is going to be so credited. Uh, they, they credit this match to Matt Hardy for everything cinematic wrestling has become over the last three years from the final deletion to the ultimate deletion to uh, I forget the, the tag team one they did it was like free, free or delete or something like that, that they did with abyss and crazy Steve. Like they were all cinematic things that Matt Hardy then brought to WWE. And you thought once you got Matt Hardy and you got Jeremy Borash, who was the pretty much him and Matt Hardy were the directors of all that stuff. Once you got into WWE, you were going to get more of this stuff. Uh, Cause the internet was loving it. Even the wrestlers Loved it. Like they saw that it was a whole nother area that you could tap into. And of course, Matt Hardy, who did these things to try and prolong his career longer, not taking bumps, you can, you know, create this character. And you get this match here. And well, first of all, you get Matt Hardy in WWE, and apparently he had a scratch and claw to get that one with Bray Wyatt. And they only did one of them. And now he's gone. He's in AEW and he's starting this up again on his own. And here you go, and you have a match that is so up the alley of the the Matt Hardy deletion broken gimmick, but instead it's it's Undertaker and AJ Styles, and this was phenomenal. Nothing to do with AJ Styles. He was great, but I mean, like everything about this was really enjoyable. I thought that this was the most enjoyable part of the entire three hour show last night. Yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly with you there. I didn't mind it. A lot of it was cool. Some of it like the the punching sound effects I didn't really need. Right. And 
it went a little too long. Like there was just so much just punching because yeah. you're not doing any moves out there, which I get. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a problem with that. I just think you trim like two or three minutes of just random rolling around, random punches kind of stuff, and all the spots were good. And take out the sound effects, and, and I'm probably a lot happier with it. I also think that, and not to spoil anything, but what we saw in that same kind of genre tonight might have put like a damper on it. Where like last night, right. maybe I was like, "This is really cool," but then they upped to the stakes, in my opinion, tonight so much that I, I'm not as impressed with last night. So that might have something to do with it. Well, I feel that the the thing about them doing this in a cinematic way, them putting in those sound effects was them just going all in. It's like if we're gonna do this, then sure. we're just gonna we're just gonna try and. Oh, I get gonna, it. It just it didn't work for me. It um, works for a lot of people. If you can, if you're into that kind of thing, great. I'm 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 nitpicking. Like right, I said, right, don't right. have a problem with it, but I I have complaints. Yeah, I mean the only thing that I kind of was I found interesting. Well, I mean it's it had nothing to do with the outcome of the match. There's a spot early in the match where Taker goes to punch AJ who's leaning up against the back window of the hearse and AJ moves and Taker busts the window through and cuts himself up. The same thing happened to Goldberg in WCW in 2000 and he like cut a main artery Yep, and he was out for the rest of WCW. He never came back and then he just sat out his contract once they went bankrupt. Uh, but the first thing you notice is, oh shit, this is going to happen to the Undertaker now. Uh, but apparently he's he's okay. So that's... That's good here. Uh, but after all this, like we had originally discussed on the pod, Undertaker wins this match, and uh, he gets his 25th win at WrestleMania. So it wasn't 25 straight. We were there when he lost the first one. Yep. We weren't there when he lost the second one. Nope. But uh, we're here again, and he gets his 25th win finally. But this is a way at 55 years old that if he is wrestling once a year, there's a, a new documentary series coming out on him where he's talking about, hey, I can only do this once a year. Uh, and this is a way to really prolong his career. He could do another five, 10 years, as dumb as it sounds. Who wants to see a 65-year-old wrestler doing that? But with the hair dye and the their makeup and the right camera angles they can get through an eight hour shoot like they did with this and and make something very enjoyable for the fans as long as you can come up with original ideas you know you can't do buried alive again really you can't do which is know, basically I, what this was was a buried alive yeah, match they just don't want to call it that. but right we're especially, especially with what we're going through right now correct but yeah i mean if you you know i, I have no problem with this and i have no problem with undertaker keeping going if he wants to and they want to as long as you're making it something original and something worth watching but you know don't use this just to prolong a career for the sake of prolonging a career because at some point i would like to see him you know actually retire and get in the hall of fame and also before he dies right that's a that's a great point and you you gotta think that he's if they're going to keep this up with him he's going to have a time where he's going to go into the hall of fame and he might not walk out there well not that but my point more is that he could have his hall of fame night and then the next night still be on wrestlemania be one of those i guess i mean some people like rick flair went into the hall of fame the next night was his retirement match it wasn't supposed to be his retirement match they were just he was in a spot where if he lost another match that he would retire something like that um but there's been how many times that the Undertaker, you thought he retired. He left his hat in the ring, and it's just we'll we'll never we will never know when we actually see the last of the Undertaker. 
Well, I think that's kind of the reason it has. I think they want to make sure that is the case. I think they want to make sure once he wraps it up, it's done, and they they don't do that with him, which is why they haven't. Would be my thought. Right. Well, unlike Shawn Michaels, who came back with a bald head, we've at least seen the Undertaker wrestle with a bald head before, so we can uh, do that. Night number one complete. We're on to night number two, the pre-show, Natalia Liv Morgan. I showed up during this match while it was going on. The only thing that I said uh, to to you was uh, that so much of this uh, material could be chopped up and put on Pornhub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Liv gets the win, and your comment was, and Natalia can't even get a win on the pre-show. Yep. I really don't. I mean, the page, I, I know by her social media, and everything that she makes a lot of money. She's got a very nice house. She lives a very nice life. That's what it's about. That's what it's about for her. But Jesus Christ, like, I don't know why she's still with this company. She's n- never getting to do anything that matters. She's a doormat for the entire division. And she's just boring. They give her nothing to work with. But, I mean, if you stick through the farting gimmick, I guess this is better than that. So Yeah, I mean, she's she's been around through everything and I feel that she really understands, I guess you could say, her role. They've utilized her so much more as the pretty much the senior girl of this roster. Uh, she's been around, I think, now since 08, 09 on, on the roster. And, and the only people that would have been there longer were, were the Bellas. But the Bellas have been pretty much out of the picture uh, main picture for about three years now. Now that they're officially retired, you know that that it is it is Natty, but they use her in a, in the senior role to still get people over more or less because she has credibility, uh, and then she gets the paycheck from doing the divas thing on E. So I mean, good for her. Yeah. So secure the bag, right? Uh, we start off the actual show. It's the exact same opening as last night. I kind of thought maybe they might change it up, but. It is what it is. Gronk welcomes us back, and we go to our opening match, which right out of the gate, Charlotte Rhea Ripley for the NXT women's title. Uh, I was surprised that you'd lead with this match, considering how much time across all the shows. Uh, but you know, this uh, one thing that I've always heard from wrestlers is that there's two spots that you want to be. You either want to be the last match. Or you want to be the first match. That's the two things. That's the things that people remember a lot more than everything else. And this match was a great opening match. The, they went like 25 minutes, I'd say, which is great for a match. They they told a great story. Uh, Rhea Ripley was selling her left knee the whole time. Charlotte kept going after the knee. They brawled a lot. And once Charlotte finally got the figure four and got the figure eight, we got the win and Charlotte is the new NXT women's champion, which is something that we discussed before. But I like the fact that not only with all of this, it was a still a struggle for her to finally get to that finishing move when she finally beat her down, finally got her and they protected that move as well. I thought that this match was excellent. As far as matches, I think that this was the best like executed and like technical match of maybe both nights, Mm -hmm. like very good match, like could have stolen the show I think would have been really hot with a crowd, but still did plenty of service. I I told you when we were watching it, I was wildly impressed with Charlotte Smack Talk. Uh, again, giving credit to somebody who's filling that noise because some 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 do it better than others. And I was surprised that she did such a great job, but she did. Rhea Ripley very very impressive, and I'm sure a lot of more casual 
So, you know, your, your main show watching people may not even really know her other than some of these run-ins and stuff. She had a very, very good match for, for somebody who's, you know, younger and obviously coming from NXT, which is quote-unquote developmental right. for the most part. Um, you know, very impressed with being able to do a match like that where you're, you're taking a beating for a while, selling the leg injury. Um, you know, there were there were things I was more impressed with in this show that weren't necessarily matches, but as far as matches, right. I, th- I think this was my favorite one. And and to go out on a limb, even when you look at all of the matches uh, that really was able to kind of make you forget that there wasn't a crowd there, I think that this was one of the best, if not the best, WWE empty arena match so far. Yeah, I can get behind that. And you always see, you always see in the matches, you know, them yelling at each other, taunting each other, like you were speaking about with the Charlotte thing. But with it being the empty arena, not only can you hear everything they say, but they, I feel like they really turned it up, these two. And they said more uh, to really make you feel, again, like I talked about in the night one match, that this was a legitimate fight and these two were actually trying to win. Yep. And there, I mean, and you can tell too by just the fact that like there are so many little slaps and just like it like like you said it like a real fight like they weren't just premeditated throwing back and forth right hooks like they were just like swinging at some points and especially Rhea having to sell the fact that she's hurt was like really doing a good job of just like like an injured animal like trying to just keep Charlotte off her like just swinging scratching whatever she could so like just kudos to both of them a, a very difficult act to follow up for the rest of the night Right, and it is an interesting spot for Rhea Ripley to to be in because she is a, a she's a bigger girl. She's tall. She's more muscular. She's got a lot more than a lot of these other girls, and she matches up very well with Charlotte. Yes. She's kind of very like Charlotte usually is that way, mm-hmm. but now it was those two colliding, but they still worked it out very well. But her selling as much as she did, I don't think that she's ever done that before. And I thought she did a very very good job. Very good job. Uh, next up, Alistair Black, Bobby Lashley. Lashley dominated most of this match. Lashley got uh, got Black up on his shoulder to do a dominator. Lana yelled at him to spear him. He acknowledged her, which we appreciated. That he's like, all right, baby. Kiss. Yeah, I, that was cool because he's like, all right, I'm going to listen to you as the manager. Uh, and then he just got hit with Black Mass for the three count. I loved it. It was what it needed to be uh, for the last few weeks with all those Aleister Black squash matches uh, that we've been discussing. It had to have lead up to this. You know that when he hits Black Mass, not only is it going to come out of nowhere, but it's you're prone to now know that it's going to knock someone out. And uh, when he hits it, it's over. And that's what happened here. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Alistair Black, and I even said to you when Lashley came out, like, I don't really get it. I don't really get what Bobby Lashley has been doing here for a while, but like you said, this was exactly what it needed to be. The use of Lana was perfect, and again, like, a lot of the managerial stuff, even, you know, going back to the first night and even tonight, and, and we'll talk about some more, I'm sure, uh, you know, a lot of the managerial stuff is really important in this silent building, so the fact that to implement something like that it may have been very hard in a giant stadium in Tampa to hear Lana yell to Lashley. So you take advantage of that, that right. we can very clearly hear exactly what she said, that he's able to hear exactly what she said. And then building on their whole relationship, he's like, all right, baby, I got you. Like very, very right. cool. Very, very good go home sequence. In a, uh, in all the years that I've seen Bobby Lashley wrestle too, and we talked about this, he wore full tights tonight, and I think that was the first time I ever saw him. I thought it was a great look for him, actually. Yeah, I really like the black and gold, and I, I kind of like him in the tights. 
No homo. Just a just a side side note on that one. And he, and he worked the match really well too. Like we know that Alistair is a, is not only like a jujitsu striker but a good technical wrestler. Lashley's an insane athlete, but like he's kind of more like a, a brawler, just like beat you up guy. But he really worked well with Alistair too. The same way we kind of talked about uh, Rhea and Charlotte. I thought mm-hmm. that these two matched up pretty well. And Lashley does have the MMA background, so he was able to. They started off in more of like an MMA, you know, like hand to hand combat thing, and then got into a wrestling match. Backstage, we go uh, Bailey Sasha in a backstage promo. Bailey talks about how it's unfair that she has to defend the title in a fatal five way. When she leaves, they ask Sasha, you know, how how much she wants to win. Smacked a women's title, and she says that we'll just have to wait and see. Almost teasing a babyface turn, which was good because it definitely played a role into what we get to later in this show. Which then, the next thing, which has nothing to do with it, is Gronk saying that he wouldn't mind winning the 24-7 title by the end of the night in an interview with Charlie Caruso. And the... A the, botched interview. Yeah. He... Uh, by the end of the tonight was yeah, was the like actual that. quote that he said, which is which is great because I had that noted here and I still read it in proper English. Yeah, I mean it's not very hard to speak a few sentences. Well, sometimes Lisa's got that Tide Pod money. Yeah. Uh, next up, Otis Dolph Ziggler. Now, had you known the full story about the Otis Ziggler thing going into yes. this? Okay. Uh, I've seen the package enough, and you know I, I hadn't watched every episode that this was on. But I mean, they've been doing. I mean, the Otis Manny thing's been going on for a while. I mean, I watched the Rumble, and he right. he like catches her or whatever, and stuff like that. And you see in the packages the the whole thing play out. So I I knew exactly what I needed to know going in this. Plus, they gave you the package too. And an interesting note: I sat down here to watch this show tonight, and it just clicked to me. Dolph Ziggler has never had a singles one-on-one match at WrestleMania. He has been around now for 12 WrestleManias, and this was his very first singles match. And this was the match that he got. This was the match that he got. But he definitely seems like he's the type of guy that he's just like, hey, I like wrestling. Show up and pay me, and I will do whatever you want me to do. He doesn't take it as seriously as some people do, and that's just his mo. So good for him because he's you know getting the WrestleMania payday, and, the, and at this point here. he's the Natalia of the men. Yeah, geez, he came from being a cheerleader to being you know Mikey, yeah, whatever one he was. Pretty sure it was Mikey. And uh, yeah, so Duff escorted tonight with Sonya Deville, which I found was interesting. But you know, we were like, is this? supposed to be the thing but, yeah no idea uh that's the problem i knew the storyline too well that so much of the match didn't make sense right exactly so the one thing that we noted too was sonia was horrible on the outside of the ring. we just talked about how great lana was on the outside and being vocal and adding to people. the match and being that outside role uh sonia absolutely gave nothing to yeah. this uh she was merely out there so that eventually which you knew was happening was a matter of time before mandy's music hit and she comes out and she takes out sonia low blows Dolph. otis hits the caterpillar for the win he finally gets his peach and uh he gets his kiss and the happy happy ending between these two and who knows where this actually goes uh, it was what it needed to be, but that's the only reason that Sonya was out there was for that spot to take place. Yeah, I mean, the only problem is, one, we don't know who this hacker person is releasing all this footage, and we have no idea what Sonya Deville wanted out of any of this. So, I mean, none of that's resolved. I don't know if they'll keep this going or not. Yeah. Who- I don't really care, but 
That's what I mean. They gave me so much information that now I'm like, okay, well, what about this? And what about this? And they didn't answer a lot of it. Next up, Edge, Randy Orton, last man standing match. All I could think about since this quarantine began was how amazing the Edge entrance would have been in a stadium. Yep. Damn shame. Really sucks for that guy. But, you know, he's been very, very positive about the whole thing and and went into this match. And him and Orton... Uh, put a lot into this this match went uh 36 minutes and 41 seconds and that was edited down i'm sure they had and these guys used everything that they could possibly find in the building uh orton orton's music hits after about two seconds when he's not out there you're like okay he's going to come into play somehow and out of nowhere he he rko's uh edge then you get another camera angle, which I really dug, which showed that he was a cameraman at ringside. He put the the camera down, slid in the ring, and hit yeah, him with the arcade. Really cool that they actually showed Great, that. Great, yes. You didn't need it, but it was really cool. Great way to start the match, and it was different. Obviously, it's something that you can really work with here. Again, working to your advantage with having this situation uh, with the empty arena. Uh, these two brawl into the back gym where uh, Ciampa and Gargano fought a few weeks back on NXT. Uh Dan, you called for a 45 to come into play here, and it certainly did. It did. They didn't throw it, which is probably a good idea. Right, yeah. But I was like, use a 45, bro. That'll end it. And then sure enough, Orton tried, and then it got drop kicked into his face. And several times, Edge really demonstrated that he does a lot of pull-ups because he was climbing on everything and doing all these body weight exercises into moves. So good on him, man. Best shape of his life, pushing 50. Yeah, I mean the the the. I'm watching this documentary while we're doing this. The the Edge 24 that just came out today, and right now as you're talking about that, he's like doing neck exercises. And all out, like literally half of this thing has been him working out to try and just get his body back into shape for wrestling. Which is, and that's like one of the things that like I I really appreciate this match. I thought it was great. I was on the edge of my seat for so much of it. It's one of those push and pull things that is hard for me, and I don't know if I'm in the majority or the minority here or what, but you know, you you know this entire comeback story for him. They they build it all into the storyline, nine years, two neck surgeries, and it's like, well, I want this glorious return for him, and at every moment, all I'm thinking of is this man's neck and his career and his life, and I guess that's part of it, but I don't enjoy that. Because I'm just like, dude, like, you don't need to do this. Like, you could have told a great story and done all this without all these spots that could actually ruin you. Like, I don't know. It, it's just very difficult for me. So it's very, like, tugging at my emotions, which I know they want to do, but it wasn't really the way I, I imagine they wanted to happen. Right. And right after that 45, and this was kind of almost cringeworthy, too, you're still in the back, and Orton chokes edge with a trx rope and telling him that he loved him which is kind of weird you know being the kinky th- we don't kink shame here we don't well it's not the kinky portion it's the the <laughs> relation to the the whole chris benoit thing that has really come back to the forefront this last week or so with the dark side of the ring but not from wwe came out. but not from wwe because of course they don't acknowledge any of that Correct. stuff but it's to everybody else that's watching it they're still just like ooh, that's a little bad taste and i saw on twitter that somebody's like yeah orton probably really saw that and was just like this will really piss people off and fucking did it because that's randy orton <laughs> that so it's randy orton uh 
continuing on here with with my notes here uh but they used this whole building as a backdrop for this match everywhere they possibly could have gone from that gym to a conference room to the backstage literal load in area uh they didn't do much in the ring i'll tell you that they started in the ring with that with the two rkos but they ended up everywhere uh, there was a spot with uh, Orton laid out on a table or maybe a board. Edge climbed, and Edge climbed up onto a, uh, a cage like that was a fencing. Yeah, and he jumped off of that, which, I mean, you saw that coming the way that they had it set up, but it was still cool the way they did everything. Uh, they ended up wrestling on the, the bed of a pickup truck. They ended up on the top of a semi, well, the, the tractor trailer portion the, of, of, of everything, the 18-wheeler. And that's pretty much where the match ended. Up there, you saw Spears, you saw RKOs. And what ended it was Edge hitting a concerto on Orton, which we had discussed before, kind of saw that you, we were going to go Orton here and you'd let Edge actually finally get that win at a bigger stage with the crowd, maybe SummerSlam. But my thought process here is maybe because of the fact that Edge is 46 and he's on a limited schedule he maybe has ideas of who he wants to work with and he wanted to work with Orton, but not getting this out of the way now fucks up things down the road. So maybe they were just like, we're just going to do this and we'll keep building. And then SummerSlam will be whoever the next person is on his list. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, the other thing too is, I mean, especially with guys missing this event and the whole two night thing, I mean, you kind of needed this here. So that could have been the thought too is, I mean, maybe it's not necessarily what he wanted to do. Maybe you want to push it out, but it's just a need for content that you have to go forward with it. So, I mean, it worked out and you're able to do a lot of cool things. So, you know, kudos on them. Again, I just think maybe you could have done with a few less bumps. A few less bumps. And like I said earlier, 36 minutes, 41 seconds for a match that was pre-taped. And I feel, and, and this is another thing that at least was smart with what they have is if they were in a stadium or they were in an arena, you would have had a crowd there, but then working to the back, there wouldn't have been a crowd there anyway. They would have had to watch on a, on a camera and they would have still been fighting with that a crowd. So it definitely made you think it was more of a brawl, which is what it needed to be. And it takes you again out of that empty arena aspect. And you're just looking at this as a brawl. I yeah. thought that, that really added to it, but I felt that they could have maybe cut it down a little bit. I felt for 30, sure, especially at the end when they started on the pickup truck to the top of the, the, the tractor trailer. I felt that at that point you could have lost four or five minutes of the stuff there, but in the end it, you know, it, it worked out the way it did and it and, wasn't and tons of ingenuity, like really creative stuff and like a few things you're able to see coming, but so many things you weren't. And that's pretty cool. Cause in this day and age, like, Sometimes it's really hard to deceive when you're like looking for so much. Yes. We say that and then we come back in and Mojo Rawley's getting chased by a bunch of, they have to be NXT guys that haven't actually made it yet. They haven't figured out their, their, their gimmick. They chase him out there. Gronk climbs over and unlike Elias who fell flat on the floor there, he trust falls onto all of them backwards and pins Mojo Rawley, and your 24-7 champion is Gronk. Dude, if I'm Gronk, and I have all this money, and all these Super Bowl ranks, and all these accolades, and I'm in tremendous shape, I'm still young, I don't care how many guys are down there, dude, I'm not taking that bump. I'm not risking that. Like, I just, I mean, 
I don't know. Good for him. Cool spot, I guess. If you're into that, I I hate it. I hate the whole Gronk thing here. Uh, I think if there really is potential for him to even be like a part-time thing here at some point, I think this is a really stupid way to introduce him. Right. Uh, you weren't a WCW guy in the 90s, but the perfect execution of sports people was when in 96, when they already had Steve McMichael, who has retired several times Super Bowl champion with the Chicago Bears. He was already in there. He had started wrestling. They brought in Kevin Green, who at the time was the star of the Carolina Panthers. And he you know, got some basic training, and they did a match with those two against Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Perfect way because you put him in there with two guys and you get the star aspect of the pro football player who at the time was still an active player. They've obviously changed rules and how they're going to let you know people cross over. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with Kevin Green because eventually by the next year when he came back to do it again, they pretty much they pulled him, the, the Panthers in 97. But then you get on and you moved into the other aspects and you get Dennis Rodman, you get Carl Malone and you were taking two people from the same world that people know and bring them in. And that was what really made that a spectacle. If you're going to use Gronk in the situation where he might not be wrestling, but you're going to use him as an attraction, you need to get someone else that is a known entity, I feel, to make that more of a natural thing and have that be the one's the baby faces, one that's the heel. This is just a really awkward placement of him. I mean, even if you just had him, you know, managing Mojo Raleigh or something, I mean, I don't know. Like, that's an easy transition. They know each other, and hey, like it kind of like one of Gronk's big things is that he's interested in this and comfortable with it because he's friends with Mojo. Like I don't know, give Mojo a little credit for maybe being this bridge to bring Gronk in, which is a huge draw, and you know, give him some TV time. It doesn't have to be anything special, but it's gonna pull ratings, and you just have him around, and then you you do the turn. Like there's there's it's easy. It's it's all written. For Mojo you. turn on Gronk. Either way, who gives a shit? Okay. I don't know. But I'm like this is just dumb and like if he ever is anything like you're just gonna think back that he was this stupid goofball at at wrestlemania (laughs) that couldn't get his lines right yeah exactly a couple more matches left here street profits versus angel garza and austin theory uh this was a pick-me-up match for sure after that last match going so long uh, never a doubt that the street profits wouldn't walk out of here with the belt uh they redid the spot for monday night raw this past week this time montez ford was caught by angelo dawkins despite the fact that austin theory was still standing where he was which was not there to catch uh, Montez Ford. Uh, Profits win the match. Cool moment after the match. Garza and Theory attack the Profits again. Zelina gets a couple kicks in, and Bianca Belair, her music hits. The real, real life wife of Montez Ford comes out and and hits the um, KOD. The, the KOD. On Selena Vega. So another feel-good moment for WrestleMania. That's what they always like to do, the feel-good moment. But the only thing that I was kind of thinking through my head is okay is this them calling bianca belair up to the main roster i'm hoping that's no the other thing is she's a heel and this is a definite babyface spot so i really don't know what they're going to do with that or if again this is just a wrestlemania we're throwing the rules out type of scenario I think that's kind of it and again because she's on nxt she's obviously down there so it's kind of all hands on deck who's available right. who's here to do what didn't mind the spot i don't think you need to overthink it i doubt she's being called up i think this was just hey you're here we'll do the spot it, it just another thing to make the street profits look cool the one thing about this that i thought was interesting is the street profits are so entertaining there's so much charisma they're so good on the mic and again one of my big things has been people talking in the ring they were 
really not interesting to me no. vocally in this match and like Montez they just, just kept, kept screaming wrestlemania right. the whole time i'm like you know it's their first one maybe maybe they finally had some jitters or, or, or something but like that was the one thing that like if you were going to tell me one team on this card was going to entertain me vocally in their match they would be at the top of my list and they just didn't do it but the match was fine uh exactly that's that's what the the match needed to be. Like I said, it was a quick pick-me-up match, which then gets us into a fatal five-way match. I honestly well, did... A, uh, f- elimination. Well, that's what I was going to get to. Is like I honestly didn't pay attention to prior to this match that it was going to be an elimination match. And right away, you're like, oh, well, who... I was like, wait, this is elimination? I didn't register in my head. I kind of... Well, I only said because I think fatal five-way means it's not elimination. I think fatal five-way means that it's first fall. So you have to call it a five-way elimination match. Oh, dear, dear Lord, fucking everything. Play a lot of wrestling video games, man. Great point. I just miss the old, I mean, it's 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 the old ECW three-way dance, which WWE would always do triple threat matches. They would never do elimination triple threat matches, but ECW had the three-way dance where it was, you got three guys, you get this the first pin, the elimination, then you get the one-on-one match. Usually you use that in a title match. It was a nice thing that they did, but nobody else has ever really done the three-way dance uh, idea. But the, this uh, five-way elimination match, you get Sasha, Tamina, uh, Bailey, your champion, Lacey Evans, and uh, Naomi in here. And this was uh, an, an interesting match. They told the story, as we talked about earlier. Sasha was helping Bailey all throughout this first portion of the match. She was trying to help her with double pins. She was pulling her off of people's you know, shoulders as they were trying to do moves for her. So she was really protecting Bailey throughout this. Uh, all four of them eventually pile onto Tamina after they realize one person can pin her and two people can pin her. I was like, oh, all four of them are going to have to. That's what happened. Cool spot. All four pinned Tamina. That shaming. Yeah, you get her out of the match. Uh, bank statement to eliminate Naomi after that. During this next portion of the match, when you're down to Lacey, Sasha, and Bailey, there's a little miscommunication. Bailey hits Sasha, uh, and and now they're they're arguing a little bit, causes some confusion. Sasha eventually gets hit with a woman's right, gets eliminated. All right, so now we're down to Bailey and Lacey, and at this point, I kind of felt that, and I think I said this in the pod, is that I figured Bailey would win, but if anybody was going to take it from her, it would have been Lacey. So we were there, and I wasn't sure which way we were going to take it. Uh, eventually, after about two or three minutes, you're like, did Sasha go to the back? And then there was a camera spot, and there was Sasha still outside. It's like, okay, well, she's still out there. She's going to somehow come into play here. She does come into play here. Uh, She eventually slides back in the ring, hits a backstabber on Lacey. Bailey gets the win. And here's the the, the thing that I want to talk about. We discussed this a couple weeks ago. There's a look between the two after this match. Sasha walks over. She takes the belt. She puts it around Bailey's waist, and they hold each other's arm up. And eventually Sasha walks out and Bailey talks about how she's better than everybody else. Clearly that this is going to be the Savage Hogan angle. They're, 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 they're gonna, there's going to be subtle teases and you're going to get eventually to these two. The thing is going to be is, are you going to wait another year to WrestleMania or are you going to do it at SummerSlam? Either way, once you get there, who are you turning? I definitely feel that Sasha's a better heel than a babyface, but Bailey just turned and I don't think that it's time to turn her back yet. And that's kind of where my concern is. What are you thinking? I mean, I tend to not give WWE credit on waiting long enough for some things. And this seems like one that they won't give it its due time. But this isn't the first tease of it. So, I mean, right. it kind of has been a thing for a little bit. 
And we do know from like Sasha's entire history that like she wants to be the champion. Like, you know, you kind of get it. So I don't know if it needs an entire year, nor do I know if they can execute it well over an entire year. Or do you even have the roster to, you know, hold for an entire year? Because Bailey's still going to have to defend the title. And is anyone going to give a shit? So, like, I think it probably happens at SummerSlam and it's probably fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, this one pretty much went as, as we called it. So, I mean, they did a good job with it. Um, you know, an interesting way to do what you expect, which is fine. Yeah. I I mean, when, when they did the original one with Savage and Hogan back in 88, Savage won the title when they started everything. Like that was the beginning. Savage wins the belt. There's the look between him and Hogan right there. That's your first seed. They knew that one year later they were going to get there, and then they just planted seeds throughout the year. Bailey at this point is a couple weeks shy of being the champion for a year. If you stretches out to Mania next year, either you're looking at two options. Option one is she holds the belt for two years before she drops it, or you have her drop it and get it back. I feel that you, in order to do it effectively in the right way, you need to have a belt on the line here because that's what really is making it personal between the two. Bailey's whole thing at this point is how she's better than everybody. She's the best champion. She's the longest reigning champion. And Sasha just wants the chance to get the belt back. And how long is she going to wait till she takes that? It's not interesting at all. It's just like Sasha wants to beat Bailey. It has to be for the belt. I don't think there's any question about that. I, I agree. So we'll see. I'm thinking that, that we're both in the same thought here that there had this been, Bailey winning it, you could have gotten it till next WrestleMania. At this point, you're gonna already get well, to. Well, May. here's actually now that I think about it, the next pay per view is Money in the Bank. Yeah, so Sasha wins it, right? And then that's the whole thing. It's just when is she gonna like? Who's she gonna cash in on? And she has it the whole time, and they can do the tease here or right. there that you know Bailey thinks she's cashing in on her. Like that's the easiest way to do it. Or what they could do, they could use that in the way of. Bailey loses the belt and then Sasha cashes it on somebody else to get the belt back with them. And then you get it on to somebody different and it's kind of a fresh reset into yes. the storyline. Could do that. Just some food for thought there. That's the one thing that is, is nice here of us actually getting to, you know, cut up some stuff that they could be doing going forward. That's the best part about money in the bank too, is the optionality of it. Right. And it, it you, it's always somebody that you hope that they're going to go with. Like there was, there was that one point where they had put it on Kennedy and I wasn't ever big on Kennedy. And then they did with Jack Swagger. Uh, but then there was other people like Damian Sandow when, when Sandow was, he was Mizdow and everybody was behind him. Like that was the biggest point of his career. He's doing great stuff right now in NWA, but it's the NWA on, on YouTube. He was doing such good stuff as Mizdow and people wanted it. He won that money in the bank and then they, they just pulled out on this. That was just a, a situation of a bad call that they did with that money in the bank. Two matches left. Firefly Funhouse. John Cena, Bray Wyatt. Zero expectations going to this match I put here. Uh, Cena came out into the performance center, and I instantly was confused because I thought this was going to be a pre-taped Same. match, which it did end up being. We get the whole Bray Wyatt uh, backstage in the Firefly Funhouse, and he's got a door. Dude, the Firefly Funhouse is not backstage, okay? It's in another dimension. Okay, so he's in his other dimension of the Firefly Funhouse. Thank you. And he open he he goes through the door that's always there. It's usually his entrance door. And Cena goes through the door as well. And well, then Lord, Cena is teleported to the Firefly well, Funhouse, and then he goes through the door. I thought that was a minor detail that we didn't need, but yes, that's exactly what happened. Everything's important here, man. 
Jesus Christ. So where to begin with this? The Firefly Funhouse, basically, it became a, a montage of both of these guys' careers and really how we got here. The first thing that they do is they go back and they redo John Cena's uh, initial uh, entrance on SmackDown years ago with Kurt Angle. He's he's back and he's in the the the, the tights and the the boots and he's ruthless. Hair. He does have hair, but he's here talking about ruthless aggression. And the role of Kurt Angle is played by Bray Wyatt. I thought it was cool. Very cool. This whole thing is like Nick Arcade style, which is the best part. So we see the SmackDown fist in this too. And I kind of popped for that, which makes me think that they filmed this whole thing. I don't know how well you know about it. They have a warehouse yep. that's up in Stanford mm-hmm. and they have all the old shit there because that had to have been where they pulled all this stuff out. They had the SmackDown fist there, which then shoots into my, I guess, second favorite part of this. Each, each thing they did became my favorite part of this <laughs> until they got to the end. Next we we go to the big blue cage from the 80s, the Hogan uh, WrestleMania 2 cage with Bundy. Uh, in the background, the Saturday Night's Main Event batter, and you get the original Saturday Night's Main Event open with uh, uh, Obsession by Animotion, great instrumental 80s song played in there, which was the original theme to uh, to the show before it became uh, the the stock theme they had. They had, like I believe, Take Me Home by Phil Collins was the, the closer on that too. All that stuff has been edited off of the WWE Network, but I really popped for that. Uh, this was, I saw a tweet, this was Southpaw Regional Wrestling on crack. I mean, I said that while we were watching it. Oh, maybe it was you. Jesus Christ, there was so much going on with this. But he had Bray Wyatt in his Muscle Man Dance character and Cena back, and he is in his jorts, and he's just doing- like a- thousand bicep curls and he just didn't stop it was like there's a gif of that that is going to be a great workout gif once gyms start opening this whole thing is just like gif and jpeg like heaven for the next week like i have so much work to do (laughs) um so in a cool flashback i feel after this we then go in we're in the ring and it, they mimic the ending of their WrestleMania 30 match where it came down to Cena had a chair and Bray was on his knees and basically was just like, you know, telling him to do it. And Cena swung, hit him and gave him the attitude adjustment and, and, and won there this time he goes for it. He swings and Bray disappears. A lot of this comes to when he goes Bray moves of all these things. Uh, so it was, Basically, as you're recreating it, it's he knows the outcome of these things, so he's just avoiding them at this point. It's a cool point of the character. Uh, you get the Doctor of Thugonomics. Whew. Now we get Hollywood Cena coming out to the NWO theme with the WCW title, spray painted. I marked. Air guitaring. Holy shit. This was tremendous because everybody has always said well hogan turned heel when he was in his 40s and reinvigorated his career and had a great run as a heel people have been wanting the john cena heel turn for years now and now is the time where people thought it was going to happen and i think that was a little this whole thing was just uh i think a love letter to the internet wrestling community and everything they've always wanted and loved about wrestling they just touched everything which is why i was so upset because i felt like 
I mean, most of the people that I follow, I think were into it, but I still saw a decent amount of people who didn't seem to like it. And I just don't get it, man. Like, come on. Like, again, under the circumstances of what they have to work with and all these nods and homages to all these things we love and appreciate, all these things that people have written, like, fan fiction of and dreamed of. And, yeah, like, it's not them really happening, but just... Like things that seem to taboo for WWE to even acknowledge. Like we love when they finally start acknowledging some of these things. You think they never will. And so many of that happened here for the first time. Like this was such a huge thing. All the ribs at Vince McMahon that happened in this thing. Mm-hmm. All these jabs at the past. All the all yeah. these rebrought up, you know, gimmicks and and past things. And like uh, I just uh, this was my favorite thing of the entire weekend. Yeah, I don't think we've ever actually seen the Vince puppet have a name before, but we got to see it tonight on a lower third and Mr. he is McBoss man. Mr. McBoss man. And the line of the night was when, ah, oh, that's good shit. That's such good shit. Again, like I said, this was a I giant, I can't believe they said it. This was a love letter to the internet wrestling community. That, that That's, that's what this was. And like to what you were saying, I'm really, really picky with some, some you of the wrestling are. that I like. And, but what I, I really thought about here is that, in a wrestling ring, I want things to be snug and real and not phony looking. That's my biggest pet peeve. I just want the struggle. I want the basic aspects to a wrestling match. I don't think it's difficult. And when you don't get that, I feel it really brings down a match and the possibility that it can be. That also being said, I love creative stuff like this. Because I, I don't know if this is maybe because of what this was and me being the 80s and 90s fan like I am so much that I kind of maybe gave this a pass because I liked it and I was just marking out for the things that I loved. The nostalgia. But, right. But even look at the, the the Undertaker thing last night and I really enjoyed that as well for what it was. I appreciate that because it wasn't like they were in a wrestling ring trying to do it. It wasn't the Matt Hardy thing, which I liked, but like it was still kind of cheesy. You also in have the to arena understand with that, that both of these, the Undertaker one and the Bray Wyatt thing are both very much in the realm of their character. They are both like transcendent beings they are not people right so like it it helps you suspend the disbelief and and if you're a wrestling fan who is invested in these characters you have to appreciate those things about them because it's it's their character so you kind of have to right should uh should notice at the end uh the fiend does appear gets the mandible claw and bray wyatt counts cena's shoulders down for the three so bray gets his win back and I don't know where they go with him going forward. I, I mean, this has to be a, a, a push for him, I would think, which is weird because he just got buried yeah. by Goldberg. But this whole point was Cena saying that he was the most overrated, entitled, like whatever wrestler. Right. And then he beats John Cena at WrestleMania. So right. if you don't do something with that, then what the hell is the point? Yeah. I mean, like we were talking earlier, the only thing that I could think of is maybe they're going to... Maybe they're going to go with him and Braun Strowman. And that but, was something I was thinking earlier that would just make sense because of the fact that like, maybe you just didn't want Bray to beat Goldberg again after you did it, that yeah. you just switch it and now have Bray come back and look really strong by putting down the monster. You also have the angle of the fact that Strowman was once with the Wyatt family. Yes. So there's something there, at least. It's mm. not just bullshit. Yeah. I, I just, we were talking earlier about how this is a great time to finally maybe pull and give a fresh reset to Braun Strowman yeah. now that you put the belt on him. And if you put him with the Fiend, someone's going to get hurt there. Yeah. In, it's in, not good. Yeah. I don't want so, it, but I could see it. Which come up sucks. with something better. You have time. Yep. Um, 
And then our final match, Brock versus Drew. <laughs> Claymore 25 seconds in. Brock kicks out three F5s. Drew McIntyre kicks out of all of them. Three more Claymores and we go home. It was literally the exact same sequence that you had last night with Strowman and Goldberg, whereas you had a couple of spears and then a kick out. You had a couple of power slams and you changed the title. It was it was what it was, but it was what it needed to be for that because what the Brock Lesnar match has become. Oh, it's Brock has two matches. He has the small guy match, like the AJ, the Daniel, uh, Brian, the Ricochet matches, where he just throws him around the ring. The other guy eventually gets a quick comeback in for a couple minutes, and then you might think they're going to get it. F five, we go home, and then you have the big guy match, and it's just everybody exchanging their moves a couple times, and then that's it, and it works. Yeah, I mean it works to a degree. We've seen it so many times that I don't know how much it still works. The saving grace in all of this is most of the time when we get this, and this goes for both Lesnar and Goldberg, is like, you know, we saw it with the Goldberg when he wins the belt, and then we're like, oh, great. Well, now we got to see this again at some point. And you knew with Roman it was going to be, you know, three spears each and a couple of Superman punches and, and go home. So it wouldn't have been any different. The saving grace here is Drew McIntyre can have a real match. So right. we, we get it off of Lesnar. I'm sure he goes away for a little bit. Right. I hope he goes away for a little bit. And for right. the first time in a very long time, we get a real fighting champion who can put on a match you get a, a, a good wrestler a big wrestler somebody that's believable somebody that the fans are actually behind they don't feel force-fed behind this this was natural they brought mcintyre in two years ago and he's been a heel the whole time and once he won that rumble and once once he kicked lesnar out he turned and the fans have not felt that he's been you know being pushed on their throats my first thing and i'll, I'll see what your thoughts are here is who do you think they put him with at this point? Who's who's his first feud going to be? Who's on that roster? My thought is Seth, but it sucks that he just lost to Kevin Owens. That is but, a good point. But that just felt like a feud, and you just forget about it right away, and he still gets to come back as the Messiah. And the good thing is he's a smaller guy who has a posse behind him, and Drew's a big guy, but he's all right. alone. So you play the numbers game, all, all that stuff. You keep Seth hot. Thoughts? Thoughts on Seth Rollins possibly winning a Money in the Bank match? I mean, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with Seth Rollins getting because I feel with the character that he has, where he's the Messiah and the leader, he has that, and that just makes him more of somebody that you fucking don't. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, I I can get behind that. It it works. It would work out well too. To my thought, that Sasha's got to win the women's because then you have Sasha on SmackDown, and Seth on Raw, so you have one on each. I I like that. So the math adds up pretty well. So I like yeah, I, I would put my money in that pot. Overall, on a one to ten, how do you feel about this one? Man, that's really hard because it's unprecedented. I don't feel you can compare it to all the other ones. Like for the most part, you know, it's over two nights. There's no crowd. Whatever, whatever. I think you have to take into consideration the circumstances, mm-hmm. whether you think for sure, that's fair for sure, or not. yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm like saying, after you watch those two nights of wrestling, how do you feel? Type deal, like you know, did you really enjoy yourself? Or I did think you say, I did. I, I, I want to say, like, I don't want to be too. I think I'm still so happy with the Firefly Funhouse that I don't want it to to push my number too high. So I think I'm like seven and a half. Between a seven and an eight, like, considering the circumstances, it. yeah, and and again, I feel a lot of it comes into play because you it was so more palatable having those those split nights. You were able to go home, you were able to digest last night's three hours, and then take today's 
three and a half hours, uh, and then we were able to come back here, kind of remember what happened last night. Here's my really here's two thoughts. I one when it's like put on the network, do you think it's going to be in like part one and part two? Or are they going to cram the whole I thing? I was wondering the together. Same. And my other thing is that like even if like that seven and a half doesn't hold up compared to all the other ones later down the line, maybe. The reason I also think it's that high is just like I think this is still one that like even if you weren't like in love with all the matches or the outcomes mm-hmm. or whatever that like this is one in a year or two like you're gonna want to rewatch just because of how different it is just to rewatch it in an empty arena and maybe even like right. this one actually might be interesting to watch again knowing the outcomes right and here's another interesting thing I mean obviously there's six and a half hours of content but I saw Chris Jericho he tweeted about an hour into tonight's part. And he said that he was watching this show on mute and it was no offense to the commentators, but he said it really takes you out of the thought process that there's no crowd there. And it completely changes. You, you're just watching these matches for what they are and not listening for anything else. And he said that it was really enjoyable at that point live. And he, and he doesn't have anybody to ask to kiss and he's sure. saying that stuff too. So I think that that's how you're saying. If you go back, maybe a later point and watch some of this stuff without well, the empty arena matches with, with the sound off, it really might make it, more enjoyable than than it was. You might See, be able I just to disagree with that because, like, like I said, one of my biggest points was I actually give a lot of credit to a lot. I think more matches than not, I give credit to the job they did filling the noise, and I think they did a lot of storytelling through that. And I think that you almost do some a, a good number of these matches a disservice if you don't listen to them. There's things you would miss. Like imagine watching Lashley and Alistair Black and being like, right, you would have been like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. Why did he put him down? So like there were plenty of things that you kind of needed to hear. So yeah, I, they, I I really don't agree with that. They did it. They did a very good job with the circumstances that they had, and I think the thing that was making it so difficult to assume that how they were going to do this in the first place was you've had TV, NXT, Raw, SmackDown for weeks and it has been very difficult to watch there's only been maybe one or two matches that you're like okay that was that was pretty good for the circumstances and then you're going in this like how are they going to do wrestlemania everybody kept saying how are they going to do wrestlemania with an empty arena and i thought that with the circumstances like we said they found ways to make you forget about the aspect and then really accentuate the positives that they could with the situation i agree all right so uh that's it for this week. We dropped this past week's giving you the recap uh, on Saturday, and this is dropping for your Monday. We'll be back next Monday with a recap of the week that was in wrestling. I don't know if it's going to be the last week of WWE for quite some time. We know AEW's got stuff filmed through May at this point, as does Impact, so we might just start talking about that and maybe have to find other things that we can do to give you some content uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, but I enjoyed this. Dan, thank you. Thanks. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for uh, listening. Such good shit. Such good shit.